0: Hey, what's
1: up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to create diversity in thought, not division and community. I am your co-host, Matt Fisher. I am here with my co-host, the ever-consistent John Wagler.
0: John, how are you, buddy? You know, <laughs> I would at scale of one to ten parts of my life. I mean, nine or ten. Uh, yeah, Some others... Not that. So on average, like a six, <laughs> six or seven. <laughs> yeah, right what's the average out to? It's probably like six or seven.
1: Boy, there's a reason we don't record these. If you guys could see the body language right now. <laughs> you know, we don't, use, we don't do the YouTube thing.
0: I, you know, it, it's interesting. Like sometimes, even in uh, ministry, I mean, we're our family's going. You know, like we're moving right now. Mm-hmm. We're all that stuff. But like um, in ministry, as you know, mm. as part of ministry yourself. Yeah uh I, some people don't know like the realities of so many things that go behind oh the gosh. scenes and yeah. it's just so much stuff all the time and sometimes it just gets overwhelming it's and a lot. Uh, we're just in a little bracket of yep. time like that right now and mm. it's part of the deal you sign up for elements of it but uh it it, it can be a lot when mm. you're also thinking about uh, what Sunday is going to be, you know, it's like mm-hmm. everyone yeah, Sunday's Sunday is wonderful. We love yeah. Sundays, but like that's, that's like the first, uh, like thing people think about Sundays first, mm. you know, and, and it's a big deal, but that's not the thing, you yeah. know, obviously for the church, but there's just so many things I that mean, go on that like, ugh. that's true of leading any organization,
1: right? It's Yo, just yeah. that if you're running like a, a paper cup factory, you don't really you kind of there's there's a point of it where you're like, I'm making money, but like people don't need these paper cups. Whereas <laughs> yeah. like this is all the stress of running an organization, but also feeling very strongly about what you're providing yes. to people, which yeah, is, yeah. you know, hard. Um, but we're popping in real quick just to let you all know that the theme for season whatever we're on four of stay curious (laughs) is (laughs) inconsistency we're going to start a new segment called stay inconsistent (laughs) um uh, yeah we're just kind of yeah because of a lot of the organizational things that john's mentioning and life stuff and and all of those things we're going to try to get this podcast to you guys as best we can um today we have a super cool um thing to give you which is an interview with uh cliff roth he's is he the executive director of crosspoint (laughs) he's certainly one of the the head guys at Crosspoint Ministries. Um, He is a counselor, um, and one of my teachers, I feel like in my life, he's really become sort of a little bit of a mentor to me in counseling and stuff like that. Um, And he's going to talk to us about just like exploring our interior world, sort of doing the inner work. Um, It's something that we talk about a lot in our community, but we've never really expressly done an episode about
0: no, and he's, one. I mean, this interview is wonderful, yeah. and, uh, and he's actually coming to speak at Hill City. Oh, that's soon. right, October yeah. something or other. 16th, I think. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, yep, he's going to yeah. come speak. Him and his wife Sally are going to come get the Richmond treatment, and it's going to be lovely. Um, so we wanted to kind of introduce you guys to him and also just share this conversation that we originally had for our discipleship track, but wanted to also have for the stay curious audience um, it's a little bit of a long conversation but just super rich and just feel, yeah no pun intended um, worth your time worth time yeah and and really I think encapsulates a lot of like what we're about on the sort of work end of like you know doing for work, sure doing interior work Um, But before we do that, we wanted to pop in, say hello to everyone, let you know how we're doing, maybe sort of apologize slash joke about the fact (laughs) that it's been a little inconsistent this season. Um, Get off our backs, man. Seriously. And do um, our ongoing uh, segment at the opening of the show uh, where we talk about things that are getting on our nerves called Stay Furious. Stay Furious. So I was really hoping we would get rid of this <laughs> but it things just keep making making one of us or both of us Furious, and you know it's good. I think we've said before uh, a good way to handle anger is like set a timer. Right. Right. So it's like three minutes. Let's just be. (laughs) Let's just be angry. (laughs) I can't remember. Was my stay furious last time? People getting blackout drunk at live events.
0: Yeah, you. Yeah, you and Jenny were Uh, at the. Yeah, at the concert.
1: Yeah. Well, we went to, (laughs) we literally went to Altria Theater last night to see a live musical. We went and saw Mean Girls the musical, which Mm -hmm. is wonderful. People were like blackout drunk. Are, really? Is everyone losing their minds? It was rowdy, dude. The it was like my BS yes to that question. I mean, it was. Yeah. I thought it was like being at a rock concert. Like people were mad, rowdy, like hooting and hollering, and super drunk. Yeah, <laughs> it was wild. So I guess that can't be my Stay Furious this time, because I, <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to do uh, a repeat. Um, you know, I think probably the thing that makes I'll tell you what's okay. i don't i'm trying to think of how to explain this quickly and succinctly um so we now have our official i think our official first uh metaverse concert venue (sighs) and i'm so sad to say that um the guys that are starting it are in a hardcore band it's like dudes (laughs) this is weird right it's such a visceral type of music why would you do this i won't call them out but it's two guys in a fairly well-known hardcore band started a venue where you can buy in so basically it's like you vote for who plays there but the way that you get a vote a vote the way that you get on the board is by exchanging nfts and it's Mm -hmm. and they're buying land in the metaverse and i'm just like Look, this is happening. We talked about the metaverse and how neither of us it. like it very much. But like to take something that's supposed to be so organic, like like I rock know. and roll it music just, in, in general, yeah, I think. But like punk music. It goes
0: against every part of the being. <laughs>
1: Everything. What am I doing? What have I been doing for the last 25 years? And uh, yeah, so they like announced the other day that that's what they're doing. And I'm just like, really? How? How is that even... I have a show on Sunday. we just put a record out, and I feel like my new diatribe during our live show is going to be like, "Hey, we need to keep doing this. <laughs> we're <laughs> but, live. Yeah, we're live. here we are. We're sweating on each other and and, and, and uh, we're here in a room, and like apparently this is the new revolutionary thing is just having an actual show <laughs> and like having Ugh. real t-shirts. they're going to sell t-shirts for your
0: avatar. I just listen, you know who would love that? Katie Perry right and like you, leave it to her you know because i was listening to her on smart list oh. and um she, she they were talking about faith stuff or what whatever she, yeah yeah, yeah. You know, and she grew up in like pentecostal she, christian yeah yeah. wasn't she
1: like a christian artist or was yeah. she slated I mean, to be she, like a christian like, artist at listening at one point? To gospel stuff pentecostal right, right, right. background okay.
0: and um she talks about that a little bit by right. the way i'm not recommending Smartless. we just <laughs> i can't do that because some Look. of the stuff is like so inappropriate and then. but um but anyway i listened to her interview and uh uh she's talking about the metaverse, but she believes that we are in the metaverse and that the metaverse is just another level of the current metaverse oh. that we're in. And so... Hey, look. No. Proof, <laughs> don't prove her say. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um anyway.
1: Yeah. And like, honestly, if it was her thing, I'd be like, okay, this is what we expect. Like pop music and pop culture is meant to be consumed in the next thing or whatever. I just... But for my brothers and sisters in the hardcore community, come at.
0: Yeah. you killing I just, I don't
1: know. Um, my... Are you, are you yeah go i mean I was, no i could go on forever nah, go on my uh
0: my my fears is around people who make the prius <laughs> why well the so prius
1: specifically or electric cars in general just
0: the well just the prius because okay, like the prius. i feel like anytime i see a prius on the road in the left-hand lane whoever invented the prius invented anger like another way for anger on the road like road rage because okay. every prius on the road drives below the speed limit yeah i feel like you're always like yeah. stereotypically aren't
1: they hybrid or are they completely i don't even now? know oh, yeah. but
0: anyway i just the other day i was like driving a prius again i'm like you know what why are you in the left lane and now it's stuck and you're creating a traffic jam yeah but then i'm like you know what stereotypically if you're near prius they're always driving slower and listen if you drive a Here's the like ironic part. Uh, anyone that I know that drives a, a Prius are wonderful people. <laughs> They're like the nicest people you ever meet. It's
1: just maybe there's a correlation between people who go below the speed limit and kind people. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. But the, the fact right, that anyway. my, my the fact that my Stay Furious wasn't that I got pulled over and written a ticket for five going five oh, over. Yeah. Well, I just well, felt if you're Giant like... for Prius, you never would.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, that's Stay Furious, and now we're going to take a quick break and jump into a great conversation with our good friend Clifton Roth um, from CrossPoint Ministries. Stick around.
2: Y'all know we stay curious over here. Here, 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 here.
1: Today, we are going to be focusing on um, the topic of interior examination
0: and who doesn't love doing that you maybe (laughs) I I would say
1: I would sit around and think about myself all day (laughs) just navel gaze till I went blind five
0: years ago me correct
1: (laughs) no you're great at it
0: this year or now me it was like
1: it it was like this morning at the office somebody asked if water was wet and Lacey was just like I don't know I don't care (laughs) and I was like I could literally think about that all day (laughs) (laughs)
0: let me let me take a seat here and I'll yeah i'll pontificate yeah let me think about it for for
1: 10 hours um and we are here um as with the other podcasts in this series with a very special guest our dear friend um and also interior examiner (laughs) (laughs) mr cliff roth cliff how are you i I almost said clifton i do not is that a would i have outed you as that being your full name
2: no actually uh I always get kind of nervous when people say Cliff Roth because it has the word froth in it and I, that's all I can hear. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that's just so strange. Like, right. it's just a weird, it's a weird, like, I don't know what the word is when you say, you know, like in the English language, when you put two, like an F and an R together <laughs> like that and, and a TH at the end, it's just too much. You're so. just
1: afraid that people will think your name is Clee Froth.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Clifton <laughs> Roth. Clifton Roth certainly uh, helps me feel more secure. So,
1: Cl- Clifton Roth the Fourth, yeah, Esquire. There we go. Um,
2: yeah, actually, actually, uh, I will out myself. My full name, uh, okay. and I'll blame I'll blame my parents on this. This is a lot of my family of origin. Work has been around my name, which is. Uh, Clifton Wilson Johnson Ross.
0: Oh, wow. So,
2: yeah, it's a little much, and uh, I still go to therapy for that. So.
1: <laughs> but you're not. You're just enough and not too much. Thank, thank you. So we've already started in on the therapy talk. We are here to talk to Cliff. Um, Cliff, is uh, Cliff. what is your title at Crosspoint, or what is your sort of role at Crosspoint Ministries?
2: Yeah, I'm, so I am the executive director okay. uh, at Crosspoint Ministry, which was founded about 25 years ago by my mentor. Rich Plass. Uh, Richard Plass is uh, a counselor, therapist, uh, PhD, smart guy uh, for many years. We call him the the soul ninja. Um, And uh, Rich um, asked my wife and me about four years ago uh, if we would sort of take the baton and uh, and carry on and build on the foundation that he's he's laid. So Rich worked with another guy named Jim Cofield. They wrote a book together called The Relational Soul. came out in like 2016. And uh, and so there's a foundation there that we're building on. They've worked with hundreds of of, uh, Christian leaders across the country for the last couple of decades. And uh, so we're really grateful to have picked up the mantle from them. So while I'm the executive director, uh, my wife and I really share that role. Um, and we, we compliment one another pretty well and we fight pretty well as well. We had a staff meeting this morning and we were reminded that we're very different people. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, we, we do that together, but that's, that's a little bit, uh, about what I do at Crosspoint.
0: I'm sure your clientele hasn't picked up at all through COVID. Oh boy. <laughs>
1: oh boy. <laughs> oh boy.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, you know, co- between, uh, between COVID and podcasts about the pain that people have experienced in the church. Uh, you know, it's been it's been quite a, an overwhelming uh couple of years. So, yeah, we thought we thought we were going to need to take uh cuts during COVID, but actually, you know, things have just uh, ramped up and have been a lot busier for us than we were really ever ever imagined.
1: Mm. So, tell us a little bit about what exactly the work is that you do, um, and sure. how does it relate to sort of interior examination? What's your story with that? Yeah, yeah. So,
2: um, you know, we we our our mission, our mission statement at CrossPoint is that we advocate for the health, uh, the relational health, and the spiritual vitality of of pastors and Christian leaders. And you know, what we have found, and, and the reason we kind of focus in on on ministry leaders in our work is first and foremost because it's what we're passionate about. We are all our whole team has all served in vocational ministry in local churches. I think our team has over seventy five years of, or maybe even a hundred years of local church ministry experience. So we really know that that's what we're passionate about. But what we have found is that the the pressure of life in general, but the, you know the performance pressure that's in our culture. Uh, that does not stop at the church door. That comes right into the church. And so performance pressure and, and just the pressure to, to be a winner, you know, um, really uh, is something that, that ministry leaders deal with on a day-to-day basis. And so the expectations that they put on themselves often, uh, the expectations that others uh, who look to them as spiritual leaders put on them can, can really, um, lead to, uh, living a life that's more externally defined than internally healthy. And the external, the external pressures really start to add up. And as those external pressures add up, um, you know, the internal stuff doesn't go away. It's still there. And, uh, and so that you got internal pressure, external pressure, it's all coming at you. And then you have things like burnout and blowing up and, Acting out and all sorts of of different things that sort of happen to uh, to cause pain in, in people's lives and also do harm to the to the ministry and the you know the the name of Jesus in the world. Sadly, yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and so that's why we really focus on church stuff. Um, I can speak more to my own personal journey and and how it relates to the interior uh, examinations, the stuff that we're talking about here and. I would just say that uh, when I was about 22, 23 years old, I woke up to the reality that, that my father was a man <laughs> and, that, and, and that he was not a hero. My dad was a pastor, and so it was, it was really easy for me to, to sort of put him on a pedestal and see him as a spiritual um, mentor, spiritual hero for me. And in so many ways, he was. Um, and, uh, and he was really my inspiration for moving toward ministry. You know a lot of kids grow up in a pastor's home and they're like, "I'm never gonna do that yeah. you know uh that was different for me and um I, I really wanted to do it and my dad was a big reason why uh but when i was twenty two I woke up to the fact that he was not he was not a hero, he was just a man and 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 I also realized at the same time that I was too, mm. and that 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 was uh it, th- that that we were kind of like we had similar issues um but that he had sort of been you know, uh, projecting an image to, to me as, you know, as any dad would want to do, he wants his son to think he's great. And, uh, and I, you know, and I did think he was great and I still do in, in, in a lot of ways, but at the same time, that was a beginning of a journey for me when I kind of woke up to the fact that my family wasn't, and especially my father was not quite the man that I thought he was. Um, you know, it didn't change much initially for me when that happened. Um, I, I except that I began to feel relational pain and heartache inside at a, at a more intense and deeper level, um, than I'd ever really felt it before. I was just kind of blowing and going normal 22, 23 year old, trying to find my way in the world, um, be success, be competent. And, uh, and I was, that didn't change a lot, but I did know that something needed to change for me. I just didn't really have a clue what it was. Uh, I was feeling a lot of, Pain toward my father uh, and my mother, my family of origin. I was kind of like distancing myself from them because I was like, "Oh, that's not what I thought it was," and I kind of don't want to be a part of that. Um, but I really didn't know what needed to change for me. I just know I felt a lot of pain inside. Um, Then, you know, I, at the same time, I was married to this amazing woman. Her name is Sally, and uh, she's very, very different than me, as I already alluded to. Um, and in in five five to six years into marriage, I realized that. Uh, not only did I have a lot of internal pain, but that she had a level of like self-awareness or self-definition. She could declare things in a second and it took me hours to figure it out, you know, because I just, she just kind of had a a sense of, of clarity about who she was that I simply didn't have. Hmm. Um, And so that began to kind of stir in me this desire for something more um, in our relationship also, I was, you know, certainly feeling that spiritually and I, I wanted to find a way for our marriage and our relationship to, to grow and to be healthy. And thankfully, um, around, you know, in that time frame, a couple of years later, God brought some amazing mentors into my life. And I think the big thing for me, and I think for so many is, uh, that I listened, I listened to what they had to say. And as I listened to it and as I kind of took their advice, um, I began to learn a new language, a new language that really was helping me put words to what was going on inside and what was inside started to be able to come out. And then light could shine on it. And once the light could shine on what was in there, um, man, I'm I'm getting chills right now just saying that because that was an amazing transformation for me. And, and then I stayed with it. And I think, you know, now, um, what, 12, 12 years later, I'm still, I'm still with it. I'm staying with it. And now it's become like a, a real passion of mine. This is, this is what I do for my, my work now. I don't just tell people how to, how to do it. I really, um, and I say this not from a place of like, I don't, I don't do this perfectly. I mean, Monday and Tuesday, I, had to, I have to cancel my whole schedule because I'm like, man, I have got to just slow the heck down. Uh, so this is still a challenge for me, but it's something that I have to give my I give myself regular permission to stay with the work and keep paying attention to what's going on inside.
0: When you first got um, <clears throat> into the work and, and even experiencing it yourself on the front end, like I'm, you know, so for me, I would say my journey started probably like a decade ago. And then- the last six years, I've gotten like five, six years, I've gotten way better at it. And I actually love, you know, the interior work. But did you find yourself like, So, for instance, for me, I remember I would like almost wear it as a badge of honor that I could disconnect from anything, you know, mm. like it was like something bad happened and I'd be like, no, nope, that's life, you know, and, and I could, and mm-hmm. I wore that as a badge of honor for so long. So I'm 45. So really the 35 years of my life, first 35, <laughs> it was like. I wear well, that as a badge of honor. So like the idea of interior work was like, I don't know, I can make it excuses not to do it or I'm too busy or that's for weak people, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. Um, you got to deal with your crap and you know, that's life, right? Did you find yourself um, doing that? Or do you find people like making, like when you first interact with people, even now, like, do you find them making excuses about busyness or, you know, are there common excuses people make?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I was just say for me personally, one of the most challenging things with this is that I'm really sensitive to pain. So, um, you know, I can only take it in small doses. And I think that's one of the things that I have, I've learned over the years is to kind of be okay with that, but not to let that stop me. Um, that I can easily just do any, I, I mean, I could do all manner of things to avoid pain. Uh, I'm, I mean, if you want to find a comfortable way or a comfortable place, come hang out with me. Like we will, we will do comfortable. Um, but I mean, I've learned, uh, to, to sort of deal with that reality. Um, but I think for most people, that's true. I mean, I think I'm probably a little more sensitive to, to emotional and, and internal pain than other people just because of my personality type and because of, um, just how God, God wired me. Um, but yeah I mean busyness is probably uh, one of the most common I don't I don't know that I hear a lot of people use it necessarily as an excuse I think it's just a way of life mm. um, it's a way of life that people live and they, it's not really conscious I think it's an unconscious way of avoiding internal pain mm. um, and you know I mean being busy doesn't <laughs> it It doesn't remove us from the reality, though, that we still have to live life on life's terms, you know, Mm -hmm. that, um, that, you know, our busy busyness might distract us from our pain for a while. But then something like a global pandemic happens and we realize, oh, you know, we're we're really not that in control. Um, And and then we kind of come face to face with our humanity. So, you know, we can use excuses for a long (laughs) we can use all sorts of different excuses as to like why it's hard to engage in this work. It definitely does slow us down. That's true. It's not the most efficient thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not the most efficient uh, way to live. Um, But as we come face to face with our humanity and our needs as humans, we know that something has to change either outside of us or inside of us if we're going to keep going. Like if we're going to keep going, something's going to have to change, right? Uh, uh, there's There's a line we use all the time. Uh, at Crosspoint says the soul gets what the soul needs, one way or another, it's going to get it. And it'll either come through healthy relational connection, um, through love, or it'll come through our attempts to self preserve. And we'll do that, you know, in lots of different ways. And our busyness is often a self preservation strategy that helps us avoid the pain of, um, of being honest about our needs. Because I mean, being in need is, I mean, that's, that's painful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how you slice it, you know? Um, so, you know, we can, we can just kind of focus on external circumstances and our image. And, and I, I think this is true for a lot of us that, you know, the external curb appeal will kind of get us pretty far in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, John, uh, you know, what got you to 35 isn't going to get you to 70. Yeah, And, you know, we realize that, hey, it, it can get me pretty far in life, but it's not going to get me through life and love. It's, it's not going to get me through life uh, as, a, as a healthy person where I'm able to look back and say there's a legacy of love here rather than like, hey, I got a lot of money in the bank, you know, um, those are two different things. So we can focus on external stuff and that'll, that'll do something for us. But this internal work that you guys are that you guys are valuing and that is so important to being a healthy person is really it's not efficient. And, you know, there's all, all sorts of ways that we find to avoid it.
1: I think the um, the efficiency thing is so key. I want to kind of sidebar on that really quick. Like, that's something I tell people all the time: is we don't, none of us realize our addiction to efficiency. I don't know if it was the Industrial Revolution. I don't know if it was the Enlightenment. I don't know what it was, but we like it, when you hear that God had His people wander around in the desert for forty years. Like, God's not efficiency is not His number one job I could
0: have done it in seven right exactly yeah. like yeah. Like, <laughs> like, how do we get from point a to
1: point b in x amount of time uh and god I feel like just especially in spiritual work doesn't work that way he's not yeah. saying efficiency is bad but he's like yeah you put it number one on the list job one for you but for me it's mm-hmm. like maybe a bonus sometimes but very rarely well yeah and yeah.
0: you have so many ups and downs too like yeah you know you have like little seasons of, of time where you're like man, I feel like in a great spot and then, you know, you get pulled back, which just makes everything inefficient.
1: Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> totally.
2: So. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you look at the center of the Christian faith, what you see is a cross. Yeah. Inefficient. And, 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, and Jesus is like, Hey God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way and he's like, no, this is the way. And he says, you know, I submit, I surrender to the inefficient path. That's also incredibly painful. And at the other on the other side of that though, we know. I mean, here here comes Easter, right? It's coming. And thanks be to God, that wasn't the, the, the inefficiency um was actually the, the doorway to the abundant life, you know, to, to resurrection. Yeah. And I think it's so hard for us to see that though. We want the straight line, you know, we want the straight line.
0: Yeah, I was telling someone uh two days ago in a conversation, they were just talking about not wanting to go through suffering and pain, like just the harder things, you know, like it makes everything he, he didn't use this phrase, but it makes everything more inefficient, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, and I, Mm -hmm. I just said to him, I was like, you know, Satan tempted Jesus with an, Mm -hmm. with with an efficient way to get what he wanted, Mm -hmm. you know? And I said, but he had to go through all the stuff, you know, to get to his ultimate calling in his life. And that is just a reality for us, you know?
1: Yep. That's good. So, Cliff, there are a million answers to this next question because I think it shows up in as many ways as there are people. But mm-hmm. um, if you could name like a couple of common ways that you see lack of interior examination show up in people's lives—five, ten ways—that you just saw, yeah. three ways, whatever the most common things are. Um, what, what what are they from your standpoint?
2: Yeah. Well, I think you know if we're paying attention which we rarely are. Okay. So like we're rarely paying attention. We, we often live with blinders on and you know, a lot of life as a human is sort of just life becoming more clear. Right. And, um, but if we're paying attention, it always, the lack of internal examination always shows up relationally first. It it always does, but we're often just unable to notice it because we've been so used to living life that way. So we we just kind of, we don't, we don't really pay attention to the fact that that's what's going on here is that there's a lack of self-awareness or self-clarity or self-understanding that's actually causing the relational, the relational challenges in life. We just kind of work through or find ways to get around that relational pain, but it always shows up relationally first. So I think that's important to say, but it, 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 since, since we're usually blind to that, it shows up in lots of other ways as well. And I think like you said, there's a million answers to this question because it's it's we're all different and we all experience, uh, you know, and, and cope in different ways. But there's some common things. The first thing I think would just be physiologically, it shows up in our bodies. Um, you know, there's a great book that's kind of made some waves over the last few years called "The Body Keeps the Score" uh, by Bessel van der Kolk, who's a who's a researcher psychologist and um and he you know he has some amazing things to say about how trauma and how our our relational pain is held in our bodies um and it, and it shows up in a variety of ways it shows up through you know uh i mean for children in in broken family systems it shows up as reactive attachment disorders it can show up as autoimmune disorders it can show up as anxiety disorders it can show up as all sorts of things but it's often physiological and, and I'm not saying that, hey, if you just go do some interior work, like you're going to get rid of all your aches and pains. I'm just saying that your aches and pains are telling you something. You, they're, they're telling you something. They're, there's a message that's being sent. You know, I love uh, – there's a, a – oh gosh, her name is slipping my mind right now. Um, a great book on, on how the body has a memory. And it talks about how our bodies send nine messages to our brain for every one message that our brain sends back to our bodies, mm. and I think you know, so so many times the lack of internal awareness or interior examination um, starts to show up as as a bodily reality. Now, point you know, like sub-point under that is addiction. It's it's an often often it shows up as actual uh, as an addiction to all sorts of substances. Right, it's very common that we find ways to kind of numb the darker corners of our story. Uh, through uh, substance abuse, through porn use, through you, you named the addiction. Uh, our, our society is rife with, you know shopping addictions, you know, process addictions. I mean you just got an endless list of addictions. And so our brain finds ways to avoid pain and it remembers those ways and it can literally become hardwired into our, our physiology. So physiology would be number one. Number two, I think it shows up a lot financially. Uh, you know my money can't keep me from my relational pain and I I just but I just keep spending it to try to uh, and that then we we end up in a lot of debt I think our you know our culture is in more debt than we've ever been in because a lot of us are spending money to avoid relational pain and when we run out of money all of a sudden it shows up oh I guess I got to pay attention to something beyond just my financial status um vocationally it shows up. I hate my job. I have no idea, idea who I am. You know that we, we call it midlife crisis a lot. Um, and then there's sort of this invitation into, well, who am I? Um, but often it shows up as a crisis, some sort of painful experience where we sort of hit the wall. Uh, our relationship relationships start to break down, and we really have to start to pay attention. Um, I think kind of less acute. One thing that came to my mind as we were. Um, as I was thinking about this question earlier is that there is this sort of roller coaster that people can get on. And in our work, we see this a lot. It's not like a bipolar disorder, but it's kind of like bipolar. (laughs) It's like one day I'm really good and everything's great. The next day I'm like, the life is coming to an end and I'm not sure I should even, I don't have any reason to exist. And it's this like back and forth pendulum swing and a lot of times, it, I mean, I think it's a, it's a pretty common phenomenon, actually, for people who've not done any internal work, who are just grasping to find an answer uh, to their kind of existential questions, and uh, they're just unaware of where to go. And so they just kind of boom, boom, back and forth, the pendulum swings. And I think that's another thing that's actually pretty common that we see uh, as, a, as a way of sort of an alert that you know, there's some internal work that needs to be done. But the bottom line is you can't outrun it. You can't outspend it. You can't outwork it. You can't outdrink it. You know, your internal dialogue's going with you wherever you go. Um, And so until you slow down and listen, you're going to keep finding ways to avoid it. And those avoidance strategies will eventually show up in your relationships. And sadly, you know, we put ourselves through a lot of pain uh, that could be avoided if we would just slow down and listen to the cry of our hearts.
0: Do you find it all... um when people start this work that, uh, do some folks get like stuck in like, um, an interior examination rut, you know, like, (laughs) um, that you just keep examining, but not maybe moving. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, we, (laughs) one of the things that we struggle with as humans right is that we're fi- we're like i said a few minutes ago most of us are looking for a way to avoid pain and um and and you know our our sort of false self strategies my, one of my mentors jim jim cofield he he says this a lot our false self will ride any horse you give it you know <laughs> you, 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 i mean it'll ride the spiritual horse it'll ride the church horse the jesus horse You know, there was the most spiritual people in the Bible were were functioning from their false selves. They weren't really living in their true selves. So, you know, self examination, self understanding does not equal maturity by any means. Um, And you can really get stuck there. The reason we look at our interior world is, you know, we we want to we want to see ourselves so we can truly become ourselves. Uh, We got to see where we're at so that we can become something. So it's if it's not taking you somewhere. Then it's not really, it's not really serving its purpose. It's serving something else. It's serving an escape. It's serving kind of a, you know, uh, a, a mentality that's going to keep you sort of locked in self sabotage or something. It's not, it's not really helping you move toward Jesus, move toward love, move toward healthy relationship. It's if it's not, if it's not taking you somewhere, then it's, it's not the kind of Christian contemplative self examination that we're actually after you know,
1: so that's really good. Um, so what are, if you have permission to share specifics or, or, or in general, what are some um, transformations that you've seen in people when they've undergone, like, can you think of a specific case or a specific instance, or maybe a generalized instance of like, this person yeah. was so not on board for this when they came to see me mm-hmm. and then through interior examination or through just looking deeper beneath the surface X, Y, Z changed.
2: Hmm. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I would say that the easiest answer to that is probably my own story. Mm. (laughs) Um, you know, I that I don't do this work, because like, like I said earlier, in the conversation, like, I'm passionate about this, because it's been something that I've had to attend to. Um, yeah I mean what what be, what happened for me was you know the transformation looks different for different people um, but one the way the transformation happened for me was that I knew I needed something. I was dealing with a lot of dark internal pain as I came to kind of wrestle with the realities of my family origin and some of the pain that they had they were experiencing and the ways in which they coped with that pain that I just was very disappointed to hear I didn't know and and it was very hurtful um, for me, very painful for me, um, and I was dealing with my own internal pain in very unhealthy ways as well, um, dealing with uh, addiction in my own in my own life. And as I dealt with addiction in my own life, and as I dealt with my own secrets for, for a long time, I, di- I didn't. I felt I believe like if if people knew who I really was, there's no way they would love me. Mm-hmm. And so I lived a life of of earning love, like, I mean, my whole life was focused on earning love and earning. Um, you know, we call it people pleasing sometimes, but really, what we're trying to do is just get love, we just want love. And and I felt like the only way to get love was to earn it, it was a transactional thing. And so that's how I live my life with God. That's how I live my life with my my wife and my marriage, um, and with my friends. And as I the, on that journey of sort of earning favor and earning love, Uh, I began to get very tired. And when I get tired, I would do I would act out, I would go to my addictions. um, And uh, I, I tried all sorts of ways to get rid of that. Other than uh, lots lots of ways to get rid of it other than actually receiving love. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
2: You know, I just thought I could perform my way out of it. I thought I could outrun it. I thought I could sort of outwork it and it wasn't going away. I moved, I even moved from Washington, D.C. to Louisville to try to get away from it. And, you know, I got, I got a break, I got a breather, but it just, it kind of came back, you know? Um, And so uh, what happened, like I said, was there were some mentors that came into my life and by God's grace, I I listened to what they said. And I think in the transformation process um, that where people begin to look underneath the surface, it's really about a willingness to receive love. You know, I think Jesus shows that over and over again in the Gospels when he heals people. You know, he'll ask them questions or he'll say some sort of statement about their, you know, just them receiving more than just a physical healing, but receiving some sort of relational connection. Um, you know, I love it when he put the the man at the pool of Bethesda, you know, he's like, hey, do you, do you want to get well? Like, do you want... Uh, yeah, you know, like I do. Um, but he was kind of asking him to express this desire, this longing in a relationship rather than just sort of holding it in on him, his self and sort of self preservation. And that was a lot of my story is I, I had never asked, had anybody asked me, do you want to get well? And I had some, these men in my life who, who began to kind of mentor me and they were giving me this language for my internal world to begin to understand it a bit more, Understand the connections to my family of origin that was going on, and and through that process, I began to to finally find language to to let my heart speak, and and there was a day. I mean, there was a really clear day uh, where it all sort of like it finally got like the, the the dam broke, and and that was a major day for me. But the dam when the dam broke, what was what came out was just was honesty. And the transformation process, uh, you know, and in, in dealing with the interior world, uh, client after client after client that I've worked with, the only way forward is to tell the truth of your heart. Mm-hmm. The only way forward is honesty about who you are and and being willing to trust that another person actually wants to receive it, that God actually wants you to take up space in the relationship, that He he wants to hear you. He's not trying to push you down or push you out. He's inviting you in to sit down and to talk to him and to tell him what's going on and to be honest about who you are. He wants all of you. And, and I think in every – I mean I could think of lots of other stories, but one of the big things that shifts is that it's not just about modifying a, an external behavior anymore. You know, I'm thinking of one guy in particular who had done all the recovery work. I mean, he had done, he was a a pastor dealing with addiction, had done all the recovery work that he could do, but was still stuck. And it wasn't until he began to let the cry of his heart out and began to be honest about what he was, who he really was and say, this is, and tell the whole truth, right? About himself and about his, his shame and his guilt and his, And kind of, and like I said earlier, let the light shine on the, on the dark corners. That's where the shift happened. It wasn't about stopping behaviors. It was really about moving into relational honesty and, and letting something kind of fill that void. Um, And that, that was true for me as well. And so, you know, I I think, yeah, there's lots of stories. I guess that's the best I've got from my own stories that there's just, and, and let me say this, I, I mean, I probably left out one of the most important parts, that when I told my story, when I told who what, I, what was going on, my, my heart actually found words, I was able to say those words to my wife, and she didn't leave. Mm-hmm. She didn't walk away. Mm-hmm. And in, in every story of transformation where someone is doing their interior work, what is consistently true is that there's someone there to receive the story. There's someone there to receive the truth. And they don't leave. They don't run. They have the love of God. They have Jesus's kind of love, and they're willing to listen and say, "I'm. I, I want to hear. And I want to be with all of you." Um, and that was that was my story. My wife gave me her full presence in that moment, and let me share with her all that was going on internally for me with my addiction and with my my running from from my true self. Um, so yeah, there's this gosh, there's this, this something that moves in and it's the presence of God. It's the presence of Christ that that's often found in the presence of a person that's near you when a uh, near, near someone, when they're, when they actually tell the story, when they're honest.
0: It's interesting just hearing you talk about that part. Cause I, I'm just like picturing in scripture, how Genesis three is, you know, built off of deception and creating a false self and false identity you know, for Adam and Eve, and then you know, shame ha- ends up happening, and they believe that that language. And then when Jesus comes along in John ten, and, and is like, "I've come to give you life to the fullest." It's it's speaking into that directly. What yeah. you're, you know, what you're saying is like, man, this interior examination piece. It's like it gets us to what Christ desires for us to experience yes. that life through the Spirit working in us, and and how important this actually is for us to experience life to the fullest. That's right. He
2: wants all of you and he, he brings all of himself to all of you. Yeah. And when that, when that, when that connection is made and even at a human level, right, there was all of me present to all of my wife. I'm not trying to sing a John Legend song, I promise, but like (laughs) it's, you know, there's something really beautiful about that song because it's, it's talking about this reality where there's, the whole of a person can be present to the whole of another person, and that's where intimacy occurs at at the intersection of of honesty and hope. You cannot find intimacy in this life apart from honesty about all of you, and the, and and the hope of someone else who can receive that. That's great. That has, and that's that's exactly what Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus modeled for us. Yeah, he yeah. he came to be the hope in our in our honest. for, for, for the times we'll show up with our honest selves, you know,
0: Mm.
1: that's really good. So we've been talking about interior examination, um, and sort of what that means and how it can affect us, um, and how not doing it can, can affect us. Um, we've heard a little bit about your story personally, Cliff. Um, I know that there are a lot of avenues toward interior examination. Um, there Mm -hmm. are, you know, again, like I said, as many different, um, tactics that you probably Mm -hmm. use as a counselor Mm -hmm. as there are as there are people you counsel but one of the ones that we want to talk about and really dig in a little bit with today is uh family of origin so where Mm -hmm. where and who we come from um everyone's favorite every every therapist's favorite topic it's the it always makes me think of like the cartoon version of freud like telling me about your um, but it is so so important and you've already mm-hmm. brought it up with your dad even like yeah. um just kind of talking a little bit about your story so mm-hmm. um i'm sure when people hear like oh cool we're going to talk about family. i got to dig, dig into the mom and the dad stuff and the sibling stuff. They're like, oh
0: boy. My mom really yeah. loves that. Yeah. Like as I preach on yeah. Sunday sometimes and dig in. Into- <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was I just thinking about
2: that. I'm like, well, if my dad listens to this podcast, <laughs> I, I'm going to have to,
1: you know, I, I'm. It it is, it's an interesting thing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but why do you think that like examining our family of origin is important? It's a simple question yeah. but I think it's important for people to understand. What why yeah. why is this necessary to to ruminate on where we came from?
2: Yeah, well, I mean it's uh, the bottom line is, I mean the simple answer is simple question simple answer to a simple question. It's because we we're created for relationship, you know. Um and we're created for connection and the way in which God designed the human race is that um you know, we are we are born into relationship. Uh, you you're 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 conceived in a relationship <laughs> conception doesn't happen apart from some type of uh relationship i mean there's there's some type of relational energy that's happening i don't care how the conception happened these days it there's still there was some sort of re, a desire for relational connection that was behind that conception so we're we're, we're designed, uh, by relationship. You know, God created us out of the overflow of the relationship that he had, uh, in the Trinity. That's kind of the Christian understanding of God, father, son, Holy spirit. He has uh, a desire to love. And so out of his love, uh, he creates and he makes, he makes humans and he makes us in his image designed for relational connection. So we come out of the womb, Looking for a face, looking at us, bottom line. we, we we're looking for some eyes. It's like I want to be seen, you know. and so um that's just that's core. it's at our at our essence that's who we are created for relationships. So you know, and trust is the currency of that relationship. you don't you don't have relationship apart from trust. And so we learn and where do we learn to trust? Well, we learn to trust uh, the moment that we, Actually, I think we learned, We learn. We start to learn to trust in utero. Um, depending on the relationship that our mom has with us when we are in utero, in her womb, we're learning to trust or distrust. Um, and children come out with all. You know, babies come out of the womb already. You know, with mistrust, uh, not only because of the fall of humankind, but also because of just the life circumstances and the and the the family of origin issues. That they're dealing with. If mom dealt with a lot of stress or trauma while the child was in utero, that child is going to be bearing the the burden of some of that stress um, in their body from the very beginning. So we learn to trust in our families of origin. Uh, we we often call it our learned levels of in, our learned level of intimacy, our our LLI quotient. How close can I get to you and still feel safe? Um, and, and how close can you get to me and still feel safe? Uh, the, we, that's happening from the very beginning. It happens as a, as a basic attachment pattern um, or as an attachment pattern, a learning to trust pattern in the family of origin. We either learn, you know, a diminishment of ourselves where we have to we have an exaggerated dependence on other people or we learn sort of an exaggeration of ourselves where we have an exaggerated independence of self and we don't need or don't trust other people, you know, everybody's got it from the beginning. It's like either we're learning I don't trust me or I don't trust you or I don't trust me or you or, um, or we're learning more of a stable attachment pattern, which is I'm learning to trust myself and I'm learning to trust you. And so, you know, those are kind of the four, the four big, big ones. There's, there's ambivalent attachment pattern, I don't trust myself. There's avoidant, I don't trust you. There's, there's scattered attachment patterns where it's like man I don't trust myself or you and that leads to all sorts of traumatic realities and then there's a stable attachment pattern where I'm learning to trust me and you in this relationship and there's an appropriate self-understanding in that process. We're kind of interdependent with one of with one another. We both matter parent-child relationships. So uh, that's a lot that I just threw a lot out there but that's that's a lot in in sort of understanding why family of origin matters so much. Sort of from a psychological perspective, but also just simply from a trusting perspective. You know, just like it, it, if you're going to do well in life, you're going to have to learn to trust somebody. And you're either going to, you're going to either, and you're probably going to exaggerate that one way or the other. Uh, we all experience that. Either I trust too much other, too, other people too much, or I don't trust myself enough, or maybe I don't trust people enough and I only trust myself. And that gets me in trouble. And we all experience that at some
1: level. Mm, That's really good. Um, What are some, I mean, I know we could continue to unpack that because it's not just uh, prenatal and neonatal, you know, it could go all the way into, well, maybe mom, you're attached well to mom, but then dad does something or leaves or dies, or maybe it's a sibling thing. Yes, yes but we don't have time to have you give us an entire class on family <laughs> systems although well, we did
2: well, well um, I, let me just let me say this though matt i think it is important to understand like if if there's not you know those those first 18 to 24 months of life when we talk about family of origin we, we're talking about all of it, yeah, like you know, like your family system that you grew up in. But we're also really – we are talking specifically about those first 18 to 24 months of life where your, your brain is, is developing at a pace at which it will never develop faster than, than that period of life. So the family system that you were a part of, the emotional environment, the, the emotional um, uh, connections that were happening around you in those first 18 to 24 months of life, they really, really matter. So, when we're talking about this interior stuff, we always do want to give some space for those months and years, of those early years of life. That's really, really, really important to this
0: conversation. That is crazy. Cause, like, I think about some of the stuff that I've just learned, you know, fairly recently, just yeah. about that time period of my life. Yeah. And then started to bleed over like a little bit later, too. But it really, it started to make sense of certain things for me, Mm -hmm. you know, just Mm -hmm. understanding what my one and two year old self was seeing and, Mm -hmm. you know, being around in that, in that time period and how that impacted me is just, it's crazy to think about, you know, especially like this long after, but like, it's crazy to think about those realities, but it's also like incredibly helpful. Like I remember even just like, Hearing my brother share with me some things, and it actually gave me like so much more grace for my mom, mm-hmm. and like understanding a little bit more, and like, mm-hmm. and it it just it it started it like opened up my eyes to some things that I was just like, oh man, if <laughs> if I were in her shoes, like mm-hmm. I you know it just like uh, it was just eye opening in so many different ways.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it really does start to play into like the sibling thing too, because, yeah. totally. you know, there's three you know, three or four of you or whatever. And it's like, well, when you were born, dad had just lost his job. And so mom was stressed. When you were born, mm-hmm. things yeah. were good. Money was good. And then when you were born, I don't, you know, mom and dad were in a bad time of their marriage or our house had just mm-hmm. flooded. It could be yeah. anything that causes stress. And like, so I said, yeah. and then siblings affect one another. Yeah. Because they're such different people because they were all born at different times of different lives. It's
0: yeah, like yeah. my my brother was sharing that, like when my biological father left, mm-hmm. you know, at the first time was like around that age, and like he had to step in, yeah you know, as a twelve year old, mm-hmm. you know, into mm-hmm. a role that he shouldn't mm-hmm. have right, had right. to do. Right. You know, so like right. there's just like things yeah. there that it was just like fascinating.
1: Yes. Yes. So Cliff, what are some tools that um, you teach people or that you've seen work for folks to start to think about and unpack um, family of origin in a healthy way and maybe sub-question, what are some roadblocks that you've seen?
2: Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think uh, I'll start with the roadblocks a little bit because, you know, that that's we've got to kind of get over some of those hurdles and You know, a lot of times people, we've already alluded to it, that we're often unconsciously busy, uh, 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 over busy. And and a lot of that is because we're trying to kind of just deal with and avoid some of the the thoughts that, that come into our mind and the feelings that come into our body when we slow down. And so most of the time, one of the roadblocks that we have to get over is just that there's no margin to explore. Um, it's, it's this commitment to efficiency that we talked about before that kind of keeps us from doing the work. And so, and then also it's like, Hey, I did slow down one day and I was really uncomfortable. And in fact, it just felt so overwhelming and it just seems like it's going to be too much. Um, and that, that does happen for some, some people. So there's this sort of barrier of like, it's probably going to be so overwhelming. I just don't think I can, I have what it takes to do that. Um, and, you know, that's understandable. That's understandable because, pe- you know, it, people carry a lot of pain. Um, and and it's, it's hard to believe that sometimes that somebody else would understand or even be willing to help bear the, the burden of your pain. And so, you know, I think that's one of the roadblocks and one of the hurdles we have to get over is the willingness to just accept help in the process mm-hmm. and not do it, not think we have to do it alone. Um there's also sometimes the fear that hey if I go down this path I'm just going to be blaming my family and I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that that lady that's just constantly complaining about her mom mm-hmm. or her family and blaming all of her problems and saying my family made me do it it's not my fault. Um you know and and I think at the end of the day you know that is a possibility but that's again just another one of the horses that this sort of false health the false self wants to ride is the horse of blaming or Sort of over identifying as a victim and not actually finding healing for your wounds. Um, another thing is that people don't know what their wounds are because they've disassociated or disconnected from those wounds, and they literally will say things like, "I don't remember." Uh, I go to tell my story and I don't even know what to say. Um, I don't know where to begin. I don't. I, you know, it's like, well, you would begin at birth. Oh, that's a novel idea. People don't even think about that because it's like they're just such a kind of a dis. That's back there and it's distant and it's, it, I don't really want to, if it's, you know, what I, what I don't remember won't hurt me. Um, the problem is it's, it's still there, you know, your body, as we said earlier, your body keeps the score, your body remembers. And so, um, you know, there's a great line from a guy named David Benner who wrote a little book called the gift of being yourself. And, and that would be a book I would highly recommend if you want to kind of do. And I'm sure that, that, uh, that rich talks about that even in the deep that maybe even refers to that book in the deeply formed life um it's such a kind of it's kind of a profound book in this on this conversation is the gift of being yourself and he says in that book what we don't own will eventually own us mm-hmm. and so this avoid this avoidance stuff or like i don't you know i don't want to have to go back there and do that work or i don't want to become somebody that blames my family you know you can use those excuses for a while but eventually those things that are underneath the waterline of the iceberg. You know, we we like to draw the iceberg on the board and say what's underneath the waterline eventually is going to have, uh, it's going to take control. So, um, you know, those are some of the barriers and and where do we start? What do we do? Well, you know, uh, there's a lot of things I think that we could do. The first thing is um, you got to stay curious, (laughs) (laughs) right? Um, uh, You got to stay curious, uh you know we don't we we want to suspend judgment of our own selves and our own journey long enough to let some fresh things come to the surface and if we're not willing to learn new things about ourselves then i think we're you know we're we're gonna we're gonna eventually have to pay the price for that so we gotta stay curious stay open to the fact that we don't know it all i love paul in romans 12 1 2 3 4 or 5 that those verses he's like hey don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Measure yourselves by the faith that God's given you. Don't conform to the patterns of the world, which are just to avoid. Actually be transformed by changing the way you think. So you've got to be open-minded, open-hearted in this process if you want to find a way to live in healthy relationship and healthy community like he's talking about in Romans 12. So staying curious is a big deal. And then I think secondly, it's, it's telling your story. Um, tell your whole story with your whole heart. That's the best place to start find a trustworthy person. Um, maybe it's not somebody in your family maybe it's somebody outside of your family uh, a, you know a trusted third party or trusted person that you that you can sit with and you can just tell and who's willing to listen and let you tell your whole story with your whole heart. Um, it's, it's surprising to me uh, the times I sit with people and they just said I've never told my whole story in one sitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a powerful powerful exercise. Uh, for a human. Um, it's an important part of ourselves. We hold our narrative. We need to tell our story. Uh, Bessel van der Kolk says we tell our story again and again and again and again. Like it's don't stop telling the story because that's in the story is where you're going to kind of find the answers to a lot of your relational and existential questions. Um, I think the other thing we've, we've, we've used a practical tool called the life map. Um, and there's some really great tools out there. Uh, There's a wonderful little book called uh, – it's called Belong, Um, and uh, I think it's Raja Arwal is her name, and uh, she's got a great life map tool in that book. It's probably my favorite one. Uh, There's other ones. Um, I would be remiss to to say Crosspoint's uh, book, The Relational Soul, that Rich and Jim wrote. There, there is a little appendix in there that walks you through a life map exercise. There's not as many questions as uh, Raja Agrawal has in her book, uh, Belong. But in her book, there's this great chapter on gentle self-awareness. And she walks you through plotting a life map. And I highly recommend that that process, however you want to go about it. Some people just get a poster board and a bunch of sticky notes. And they just start making a timeline. And That's that's a great way to do it. There's other ways you know, there's probably amazing apps for that. I don't know. Um, if there isn't, we should make one. Um,
0: million dollar idea trademark. There There it
2: is. (laughs) So stay curious, tell your story, do a life map. Um, the last thing I would say as a, as a practical tool would be to, you have to engage your imagination in this process. And if you're unwilling to kind of engage your imagination, self-reflection and, and and self-examination is really, really hard. Um, you know, I love that movie, uh, Inside Out, um, mm, yeah. from Pixar, uh, that, that's, that movie is basically a, it's a simple version of what's called internal family systems theory, and internal family systems theory is basically saying, hey, you have an external family of origin, yes but that external family of origin has helped form an internal family that you have that's made up of different parts and those parts are often carrying emotional burdens or carrying emotional pain and those parts are all trying to find a way to live in harmony in other words you're not sort of this monolithic you know singular person you're a, you're a whole person made up of different parts and the story that you tell has all sorts of different parts and those there's emotions and memories that are all part of those of that story. And so understand that there's a variety of parts that make up the whole and you got to kind of engage your imagination, that process. So sometimes I'll imagine myself as like a, a person built out of Lego blocks and that along my journey, I have dropped parts of myself away in order to stay, to, to think, to find a way to belong. And um, to, to fit into whatever environment I was in. And that in, on my internal interior examination journey, what I'm doing is I'm remembering parts of myself, quite literally picking those and remembering, I'm uh, putting parts of myself back on as I remember, oh, that was me. But I left that there because I thought it wasn't welcome at my family table. Um, and actually it is part of who I am. And so I'm picking that part up and putting it back on. So I have to play imagination games. Uh, Another imagination game I'll play is um, uh, getting on the balcony sort of and overlooking a dance floor and seeing that my life is this big relational dance that I'm in. And there's lots of different parts and moving pieces. And I just kind of get up and observe that process. So those are practical tools as well that you have to engage in this internal internal deal. And finally, uh, my mentor gives me this advice all the time. He says, Cliff, don't forget, Clumsy's as good as it gets, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to do internal examination to get 100 on the test, um, that's the wrong goal, all right? It's it's really not about winning at this. It's about how you play the game. And clumsy is as good as it's going to get in this process. You're not going to get it all right all the time. So you just got to stay with it and kind of keep, keep plugging away.
0: This isn't one of the questions that we had sent you, but I, I was just sitting here thinking <laughs> – Do you find or what would you say um, to maybe someone who's maybe on the older side, you know, maybe the Mm -hmm. boomer Mm -hmm. generation that um, maybe like older Gen X to boomer generation that, you know, this was now I feel like this language is all pretty familiar. If you're younger or you're in it in some kind of way, you know, um, to folks that are um, a little bit older or seasoned. Um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that uh, season saint, <laughs> saints, the season saints and um uh, what you know <clears throat> i I have faced some pushback you know from folks in our church that you know in their fifties sixties seventies that not a time- i mean some people are willing to do it, but like what would you say to people of that age bracket you mm-hmm. know um you know, they might be 65 years old and they might be like, well, I mean, my gosh, I'm 65. You got me this far. You know, yeah. like, what would yeah. you, what would you say to folks like that?
2: Well, you know, in some sense, I, I always feel intimidated talking to people that are 20 years my senior. <laughs> um, when it comes to talking about this kind of stuff, I do. I don't, because I don't, number one, I haven't arrived at it. I'm, st- I'm, I'm still working. I'm, st- and I, I anticipate that it's going to take a lifetime to learn to live, you know? Um, it, and, and so I would probably just remind them that, um, you know, it takes a lifetime to learn to live. And there's, there's nothing um, – we're not honoring God's image in ourselves if we think that we um, either can't change – or it's too late to change or that somehow, um, there's no hope for us. You know, uh, we're not honoring God's sort of, I I think that we're kind of diminishing the gospel. If we say at any stage of life, if we say like, you know, I, I I can't learn to be a better lover, you know, Mm -hmm. um, we, we can all be better at loving. um, and so we're diminishing the hope of the gospel if we think we've arrived mm. and we're also diminishing the hope of the gospel if we think we are too far gone um and you know i think that's one of the, one of my deep pains in life is that in, in some of the closest relationships i have with with people who are much older, who are much further down the road than me um that they've said that to me that i'm too old to change mm. and and i would just say you know if I could kind of get, be a, if I could kind of pastor them for a second what I would say is you know what there's a lot of people that really need your inspiration to stay on the journey. Mm-hmm. So even if you know even if you don't want to do it for yourself can you do it for them because they need to know that 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 there's hope in, in this work like it's worth it you know. And if you're not willing to change or not willing to sort of stay with it um you're kind of you're you're kind of zapping the inspiration that some of us younger folks need to kind of to kind of yeah. do the work, you know. Um, it's really inspiring when you meet a person in their seventies who still like wants to get better at marriage, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, and who's willing to say like, "Hey, I need help." And uh, part of being human is needing help. I mean, you can't you cannot self preservation. I mean, and in my I, you know I don't know what. It, it, whatever your theology of sin is, my my basic theology of sin is that sin is reactive mistrust, that God doesn't love me and I can't trust him. And so, you know, the Bible says that that sin leads to death. And so if I'm going to live in a reactive, mistrusting place that God doesn't actually want to change me or make me more more like Jesus, then then that's that's sin and that's going to lead to, to death. In a sense it's going to lead to death relationally. And it it might even impact your death physiologically because we know that science says, science, just basic science, you don't have to go to the Bible for this. Like science says that if you, the the more isolated you are relationally, that the the more unhealthy you are physiologically. And so, you know, I don't care how old you are. You need relational connection. You need it with God. You need it with other people. And that means you're always going to have to keep working and
1: growing. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, so I want to go back to one of the sort of like, uh, avenues toward interior examination that you gave us, which is telling your story. Yeah. Um, how do you help people or, or maybe what advice would you give people that have started this process and they uncover something that, um, they know they need to talk to somebody about, how do you help to differentiate between, like i just need a friend or maybe like a pastor or someone a little yeah. more informal and yeah oh i uncovered this thing and i might need somebody with some like degrees yeah. or you know like uh, yeah. some letters yeah some letters <laughs> yeah <right laughs> name. yeah um, yeah how do you help people because we see i think both sides of it where folks that really probably need mm-hmm. a more professional counselor or therapist yeah it, aren't yeah. getting it and then also sometimes people who continue to be in therapy, but really they kind of just need like a friend or they kind of just yeah. need like a mentor. Or they got maybe. comfortable. Yeah. Or yeah. they just yeah. got comfortable and yeah. like, that's oh, just kind of what I do every week. Um, that's really how, how do you help people um, as they're uncovering stuff um, or what advice would you have for people to differentiate between like, man, I need somebody I can be honest with um, verse or, or in addition to I need somebody I can be honest with who's also a professional. Yeah, that's great.
2: Well, I think, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is, um we need to keep a low bar for for our need for help okay mm. so like we all need help all right and so we want to have a low bar uh for asking someone else like y- 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 you know change doesn't happen apart from relationship or apart from community mm. and so um if you're if you're noticing something as you tell your story or making your life map that you know you notice a pattern or you notice a just a, a painful memory that you want to find healing for healing happens in community. It happens in relationships. So we got to keep a low bar for asking for help. So I, I would just say that in general, don't, don't, don't ever use comparison. Like, well, there's people that are worse off than me. So, and so I'm going to let the therapist work with all the people who have sexual trauma, you know? Well, well you know, that's, that's not going to be helpful. Comparing yourself never, never helps promote healthy you know, a healthy soul. Comparison just kills that. It squashes it. So have a low bar for asking for help. Don't, don't use a comparison measuring stick or anything like that. Thankfully, you know, uh, therapy counseling has become a lot less, uh, you know, it's become destigmatized a bit over the last five, 10 years. And that's really great. Mental health has become a big, uh, you know, a focus of our society and that's, that's good. That's a, that's a win. Um, but you know, one of the most bottom line is one of the most important lessons that we can learn as adults is that you know, even as grown ups, we still need help. And you know, maturity does not mean that you have to be self sufficient. In fact, you know, Jesus makes it really clear. It's like becoming like a child. So um, more than like saying, "Hey, these are the issues that you need help with, and these are the ones that you should be able to handle by yourself."
1: Right. That
2: yeah. I don't think that list exists, and if it does exist somewhere. Uh, I would throw it out. Okay, um, you know I've met pastors in churches who like want to do a tier based system of like, hey, if you come to us with this problem, then you know we can handle it. If you come to us with this problem, then you probably need the person, this person, and 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 that's true. It's true that like community can just heal. Just telling your story can be all can be a very healing process, mm-hmm. and that may be all that you need. You may not need to go to you know hours or weeks of therapy. However, um, I don't want to make that list because for different people the way their stories impacted them has been differently it it, it it has different different implications and the patterns and the the brain function brain functions in different ways there's not a one-size-fits-all answer here so the big idea is keep a low bar and asking for help and ask for help when as much as you can and as regularly as you can um, and then uh, you know I think, if I was going to say more specific stuff, I think I would say, hey, if you notice a pattern in your rela- in your way of relating that seems to kind of keep coming up over and over and over again, well, that might be a sign. You know, hey, uh, I, I've tried doing this on my own and it's not working. Uh, a marriage, you know, like you keep you kind of keep going in the same the same cycle. Maybe you need to get a third party to kind of speak into that relationship and help mediate a conversation that can help you hear one another more clearly or at least find a language in which you can talk and that's not talking past each other. Um, but, but the interior stuff, man, as stuff gets uncovered, um, you know, what we're going to notice is usually one of two things. Either we're exaggerating something or we're diminishing something. We're avoiding it or we're like, we're like making it everything. You know, we're blowing it up. Mm -hmm. That's, that tends to be the human nature. Um, and so, you know, we want to pay attention to those patterns, and when we feel like maybe we're exaggerating or diminishing, well, then we want to say, "Hey, somebody, will you help me get a better understanding of what this is, whatever it is?" You know, um, we'll often say, uh, "If you're having hundred-dollar responses to ten-dollar problems, you really need help in figuring out where the other ninety dollars is coming from." Hmm. And and so, you know, you got to ask. You got to ask for help for that. And maybe that's just in the way you talk to your kids. Uh, maybe it's in the pain that you feel. Um, you know that that may be connected to the pain that you feel from your own parents from your own family of origin and as you you know as you're sort of doing the work of trying to grow and pay and have better self-awareness and better self-understanding you're starting to notice those patterns externally that that then you can say hey i need help connecting some dots internally kind of like what john was saying earlier about you know there's been some like wow wow moments of like man just connecting those sort of dots that have been in my peripheral a long time have been, that's been really helpful and give it's being more, I'm able to be more compassionate to others, but also when I ask for help, it helped and and notice those and connect those dots for me. It helps me have more self-compassion as well and stay on the journey. So yeah, that's a long answer to your question, Matt. but I think, I think that it's really important. We have, we don't, we never stop asking for help because that's one of the most courageous things we can do And it really does help us, I think, maintain the compassion we need to stay with it and not give up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I often ask people to try to determine whether or not, you know, professional help is a thing, or I ask people to ask themselves is, are you on a road that leads into the future and it's just gotten rocky? Or are you on a racetrack where you're just driving fast and turning left, but you're not going, ultimately you're not going forward mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like if you're like the road gets rough for everybody you may just need people like you may just mm-hmm. need you know friends community pastoral help whatever but if you feel like you know you've seen your own footprints before and you're lost in the woods like then we can look into some you know additional stuff that's just a that's that's really good that um okay well i think that, that we have kept you for a while, Cliff, thank you for giving us your entire afternoon. You just looked at the clock like, really? Has it? Has it, it, went, it flew by. It I love it. when this we're, is, It's so fun. When we're all it's together. so fun.
2: And I could, you know, I, I've told you guys this before. I, I If I, uh, you know, I've thought about moving to Richmond, man. You guys are so fun. <laughs> you guys are so fun to hang. You're fun to hang out with. And, you know, the spirit that you guys have in your community is really inspiring. So uh, it's always a joy to be with you. Well, I, appreciate I appreciate that. I moved to Richmond
1: um well here's our kind of last question you brought up earlier um that one of the roadblocks for people is um that they think that they'll just get caught in a cycle of like blame and shame like Mm -hmm. everything's my oh my mom was so terrible to me my mom did this or my dad did that or you know or that they'll take it on themselves like well you know what other people had worse parents and i was just bad and now i'm all messed up what do i have to complain about what are one? Of, what are some of the ways um, on being able to understand family of origin in a way that keeps you from being stuck, that keeps people from getting into that cycle of either all they can talk about is how their dad left or that their mom wasn't present, or all mm-hmm. they can talk about is how they shouldn't complain because their parents fed and clothed them?
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I mean it' it's like most of it's like most of life there's a ditch on each side of the road. Um, you know and and it's like one ditch is that like you just said like one ditch is it's the ditch of blame and the ditch of like um, kind of an over over identification with with my with being a victim which we, which is it's not it's not that you're not. it's not that you haven't experienced wounds. That's the other ditch right that denies that you have any pain. Uh, And that's not going to help, help either. So, you know, I'll say there's kind of the the ditch of delusion, you know, and then there's this other ditch of, 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 like over identification. And so um, we want to be honest, and we want to be real. And the way to stay on the road, I think is, is asking yourself, you know, kind of two questions regularly. Um, How am I trusting? And am I trustworthy? (laughs) How am I trusting? And am I trustworthy? It's really and if, you are, if you'll if you ask yourself those two questions on a regular basis, you're going to stay with the work and avoid kind of getting in the ditches. Hmm. Um, you know, how am I trusting? you you got to think about that in three. I mean, the great commandment, let's just stick with the basics of the Bible. You know, like we don't have to get overcomplicated here. How am I trusting is basically, you know, do I love God with all my heart? Do I love my neighbor as myself? There's those three the three parts to that. So, am I trusting God? Am I letting the gospel sort of speak to me um, and and help me help heal some of my attachment wounds? Um, you know, it's no it's no wonder God came to us as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or you know, in, in in three relational spaces. He came to us as a parent. He came to us as a sibling and a friend. All three spaces where we experience relational pain mm-hmm. and betrayal. Mm-hmm. Parents who who don't who don't give us the resources we need siblings who you know don't see us and and compete with us and you know friends who stab us in the back and betray us just like jesus and jesus experienced the pain of all three of those spaces himself and he's acquainted to our our grief in that so am i trusting am i growing in trust of god that he actually sees me and that he wants me to take up space in the relationship with him number two is um am i growing in in trust of myself You know, am I learning to trust myself? Do I agree with God about me? Um, He delights in me. Can I delight in me? Uh, He's proud of me. Can I be proud of me? Like, that's appropriate. That's not selfish. That's like, since when was it selfish to agree with God? You're just agreeing with God about yourself. Um, Are we becoming more aware of our feelings, our needs, our desires, our longings? Are we becoming more comfortable and confident in our own skin? Am I learning to trust myself? Um, is that, and is that enhancing our relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes if, if you want to answer that other question, am I trustworthy kind of in this space, it's a great question to ask other people is just, how do you experience me? You know, or am I, a, do you, do, am I a trustworthy person? Just ask. It's a painful, vulnerable thing to do. But as CS Lewis said, to love is to be vulnerable. And and if you just want to put yourself out there, ask those questions, um, about, about how you're doing, as a as you know, as trusting others, and, and are others able to trust you? Um, that, that third space of trusting other people—it's really just, just sometimes you got to, like I said earlier, get on the balcony and look at your relational realities. You know, you can't say you love God and hate your brother. That's what John said. You can't say you love God and hate your mom or hate your sister. Um, you might have a lot of pain in those relationships, but. As you learn to trust God, just as John said earlier, you're gonna learn and, and you understand his compassion for you, you're gonna to learn to trust others and and have compassion for them as well. Um, and so, you know, how close are you getting to others? How close can others get to you? Pay attention to those three relational spaces and how you're growing in trust um in those in those spaces. And I think that'll help you keep out of those ditches.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really good. That's a whole word. Yeah.
0: Ditches get stitches. Ditches
1: get stitches. There you go.
0: There you go. Well, oh my on, on
1: that closing on that piece of wisdom from our head pastor John Wagler. Um Thanks so much, Cliff, for joining us. If you have questions, quips, comments, or quotes, you can send them to stay curious at hillcityrva.com. Make sure to rate and review us so others can get in on the conversation. And until next time, remember to stay curious. curious.